fair. Well, legitimately, it seemed, it seemed bad. Uh, good. Yeah, I've had, a, I've had, a, I've had a good week. I've had a good week. It's um, Tuesday. I might crash at some point because I got to put quarter past six to go in the sea this morning. Oh, did you? How was that? It was nice. It was good. I've not done it. We've not done it in about a month. Did you scream? I did. Okay. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And um, yeah, it's a bit of a saga because um, it was cold. Mm. And in the autumn, I was like, I'm going to go in the sea and I'll scream and I'll shout and I'll, I'll holler. And you, <laughs> and you never get any opportunity. There's very few opportunities to sort of like... To have a holler. have a holler. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, I suppose people can... T- people find them, don't they? But I don't. Sure. 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 I rarely do. Sure. So, sure. yeah, sometimes I even swear very loudly. <laughs> um, and then as we got into winter and it got colder and colder in the sea, I was a bit like, I can't... I started to limit myself in my shouting because I felt like if I shout too much, it gives too much power to the sea. Uh, yeah, I kind of like, I need to trick myself into actually thinking it's not cold. <laughs> Whereas like before, I could just be like silly. It was cold, but nah. I just it's, it's an opportunity to be a bit like performative. Uh, make a scene, as it make were. Make a scene, yeah. But now, I, now in the win- in the dead of winter, I'm like I have to take it actually seriously. I'm not, I can't. <laughs> but today I did a lot. Of, today again. we got we got past the like we got back to the point where it was cold enough to necessitate a little bit of shouting just mm. to like get through it. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. I never would have thought it would be for me, but I've I've I find it. I've been missing it, and I find it quite um, lovely. We're talking like a minute tops in the water kind of thing. Like, <laughs> we're talking seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A yeah, measurement yeah, of seconds. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How are you, Jack? I'm doing good. I got up relatively early to go to the allotment before work, which was nice. Because today's beautiful. Mm. It was lovely. And mm-hmm. I was like, I'm just going to be locked in my room for eight hours because of my new job. So I would like to go enjoy it a bit. Went to the allotment, planted some garlic, planted some onions. It's going to rain for the next few days. I was like, I should probably plant them now. Give them a little bit of time to go. Um, put together some more beds um, right before this. Um, feeling pretty good about the allotment. I'll be honest. Allotments, it's coming along. Um, I've been feeling, I've been feeling very invigorated about the gardening as well. Yes. We've been making a bit, we're making a good plan. Yes. There are spreadsheets. I was going to say, I just put together a spreadsheet today. I was like, oh God, my new job is leaking into my life. I was like, maybe I should make an express spreadsheet about when I planted things. Now I've successfully pretended to know how to use a spreadsheet and if I get a job, (laughs) I can use this opportunity to practice my spreadsheets by working out when I'm going to plant my potatoes. (laughs) I know. I texted my brother and I was like, wow, uh, a uh, lot of like Microsoft team meetings and uh, I should not have said that I'm proficient in Excel. And he's like, welcome to an office job. <laughs> <laughs> that is it. That is it. Yeah. But it's good. It's, it's it, at least today, these last few days, it's motivated me to like enjoy the bits of the day that I'm not working a lot more. Yeah. Whereas like I used to just come home and just crash. Mm-hmm. Now it's like, oh, get up early. Oh, I see what office, you mean. Yeah. 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 You're not physically afterwards. exhausted. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that too. <laughs> yeah. 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 Mm. you'll get there i definitely will get there mentally <laughs> exhausted it was funny like we had a big team meeting or whatever and they do this thing where it's like everybody say like traffic light system how you're feeling about your workload and it's like it, literally everyone was like red orange red 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 orange orange and i was just like yeah green it's <laughs> like i'm fine it's my second day i don't care <laughs> all together though good day very good Excellent. day and we can agree that today was a good day march the one second Ninth? Good day. You can go down in history. It'll go down in history before we get, what, a week of rain? So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's check it down tomorrow, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. Yeah, I know, because I guess it was warmer a bit today. Because I, I, when I saw that it was going to be clear, I was like, oh, it'll be freezing. But then I left the house and I like, had a jacket on. And I was like, oh my God, I don't need a jacket. Spring's here. And then I looked at the weather and I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, this is spring. The promise. Yeah. And then the, the <laughs> claw it back from you. Yeah. Something like that. You did tell me uh, that there's going to be uh, more rain, perhaps more precipitation in spring. How does summer fare to spring in in terms of precipitation? More or less? Probably oh, less. Who can say? Who can say? Who can say? Who can say? To consult the sages. <laughs> um, um, I think they vary year on year, don't they? The way mm. it's been going. Mm. Uh, these drier. Yeah. Drier and warmer. Gotcha. Ordinarily. Yeah, sure. I suppose. Mm. All right, well, we can deal with that. So you've got that to look forward to, I suppose. I suppose so. Yeah, should be good. Um, what else? What else? What else? What else? I don't know. Oh, that those damn royals, Dan. Oh yes. <laughs> I don't actually know what's going on. I don't care to learn. No. Um, I just think it's funny whenever a royals in the news because I like seeing British tabloids that are like 
Yeah, well, one of the tabloids had the headline, the greatest crisis in the <laughs> royal family in 85 years. Like that, yeah. they've, they've forgotten about whatever his name is. The pedophile? The pedophile prince. Yeah. Which, which pedophile? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which Nazi pedophile? Um, just kidding. We love our royals, folks. Allegedly. Um, They're allegedly. all allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> you can't see Dan winking. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, winking with my sort of like lizard eyes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, I did see the headline today that was like, uh, the palace has uh, had a, uh, a meeting about what to do. And it's like, yeah, you know, whenever they do. start talking about the palace. <laughs> yeah, I know. And the the like third, p- first person or something. Like, uh, Jesus. They mobilized the... Uh, yeah. I don't know. You want to hear something awesome? So Please. a very good friend of mine said, told me recently that when they were young, they lived near a... Um, I don't know, a bit of woods or wherever where like the uh, lords or whoever would go and have their like fake fox hunt, right? And um, I guess real fox hunt because this was a while ago. And they said that they used to go and slash their tires. Nice. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I heard that and I was just like, uh, nice. Yeah, 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 you yeah, yeah. rock. Yeah. Very, very good. Yeah. You know, yeah. Have a, this is a pro hunt <laughs> sabotage podcast. Absolutely. I only learned about that whole history of fox hunting recently that it didn't blare, stop it. Which was like recently. Yeah, they, yeah, they, yeah, they, they made a the, yeah, the fox hunting ban, I guess, came into force in the mid mid aughts. Um, but it wasn't like. But you could all, just go all what fox. it what it what it prohibits is like what you would imagine you would want to prohibit. It basically sure. prohibits the fox hunters from using hounds to actually kill the foxes. Oh, okay. They're still allowed to go out and blow their trumpets and be assholes and pompous oh, okay. and um, with their dogs, but ostensibly they're supposed to um, shoot them. Foxes. Oh my god! Okay. So they're still hunting foxes. Oh, I think, all right. I think, and <laughs> then ob- ob- obviously they don't they don't observe the rules or the law, sure. and they're seldom. Uh, 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 I guess pros- I'm just I'm just making it up now, but I imagine they're seldom prosecuted. And if they are, obviously they're rich, pompous assholes, and yeah. so they can get away with it, kind of thing. You know, there are cool versions of hunting, like in like Mongolia, the like ceremonial like eagles that you train to hunt. Something about just shooting a fox in the head <laughs> is so lame. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. You on horseback, massive pack of <laughs> yeah. pack of humans on horsebacks, flanked by an even bigger pack of dogs, <laughs> chase fox into a corner and then shoot it. <laughs> shoot it. <laughs> shoot the dog. Jesus. Oh, we love the lords, don't we, folks? Can anybody do that? Can anybody shoot a fox? Oh, probably not. <laughs> Get sick. Well, and nobody's got any guns. Yeah, true, true. Oh, dear. Um, mm. I don't know. Yeah, you try it. Get on your bicycle okay. and get a red coat on and, <laughs> and go out and... Get my bow and arrow. Yeah. Mm. I mean, we wouldn't want to do that. That would not be fun. That'd be kind of sad. I like foxes. Foxes are really cool. Yeah, um, I've not seen them so many. I just thought I'd have seen more either. of them in the past year, perhaps, than yeah. I used to, but... Maybe I don't go out walking at dusk very often, or hmm. you usually just see them walking the street. Yeah, at, my first at year dusk here, kind of time. Five. Just weird, and you'd think they'd be really skittish, but they're not. Mm. They're kind of almost spectral. Like they're almost <laughs> like they don't quite. They, they, I feel like they inhabit some kind of realm between yeah. ours and some other place. Ooh. They sort of like ghosts. They just sort of stalk <laughs> oh, around. They're not intimidating or scary. They're just a bit kind of. Like, oh, what was that? Okay. There goes the fox. Okay. Just not really engaged with our world, kind of thing. We should get a fox on the show, get its perspective. Yeah. Um, I saw a fox in town, in the middle of town, and it was just the most raggedy, like Beatrix Potter, like homeless fox ever. I was just like, man, get out of here, good boy. <laughs> I guess it's probably living pretty good, honestly. Um, no, I don't know. When I first got here, I saw a fox. That was like the first animal that I saw in the wild. And I was like, oh my God, that was awesome. Then I saw a hedgehog and I was like, I didn't know what it was. It was just walking down the street. And I was like, what is that? Like, I had to take a photo of it and show it to someone. I was like, get out of here. And then I saw a slow worm and I was like, what the fuck is that? Uh, not a snake, even though it looks like a snake. Not a snake. Yeah, not a snake at all. Good guys. Very good guys. All of the all of previously mentioned, very good guys. <laughs> all aforementioned animals. <laughs> Hedgehogs. Podcast favorites. Podcast favorites. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, where I used to live, we, like a year ago, we had a hedgehog in the garden and we looked up what hedgehogs like. Apparently they like peanuts and I thought that was funny. It's they like, like peanuts. They oh, like peanuts. Yeah. We have a hedgehog that frequents our garden. Oh. You hear him rustling occasionally. <laughs> I think he eats the snails and slugs, hopefully. So the cat's not? I guess they can't because they're spiky. They're, they, they, yeah, they're yeah. not too bothered. They don't know what to do with it. Yeah, I guess so. Then, uh, Interesting. Yeah. 
Well, that's exciting. There um, we go. You know what, Dan? That brings us so nicely into what we're reading, which is finally State and Revolution by Vladimir. I know. <laughs> we keep promising it. We've been promising it. Um, no, my God, Dan, what are we reading today? I think, we, something a I think we both. I think we both genuinely really quite enjoyed this one, did we not? I will go so far as to say that I loved what we read today. Mm. Really, really dug mm. in. Um, excellent suggestion. Go ahead and tell us about it. We read because we're lazy and because it's um, <laughs> and because it's um, it's dense. Mm. We read the first chapter of Murray Bookchin's The Ecology of Freedom and the introduction. Oh yeah, <laughs> um, which is entitled Social Ecology. So I forget, so I'll take your word. We're on gonna that. we're gonna try and cover social ecology um, according to twentieth-century American anarchist Murray Bookchin. Murray. Q. Bookchin. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, this rocked for a number of reasons. Um, I know if you listen to our uh, episode 20, kind of recap, we talked about it, we wanted to do some ecology, and this seemed like a great place to have an introduction to what Bookchin calls social ecology. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And we keep promising to like do a deep dive critique <laughs> on, on our anarchist comrades. Yeah, well. And instead, we're probably going to become an yeah, anarchist exactly. Um, I'm interested in kind of getting into the, like, Marxist versus, like, anarchist kind of, in my opinion, kind of unnecessary spat. You know what I mean? Because, like, obviously you get it. Dan on the show has called anarchist. Was that on the show? Did you call anarchist liberals on the show? Or is that extracurricular? No, I think that... (laughs) (laughs) An extracurricular hot take. Um, but no, I'm a, I, uh... I'm firmly of the belief that, you know, you should be kind of being guided by interest and not dogma. And obviously, like, all the all the caveats of, like, you know, we are reading an anarchist, don't 100% agree with him on a lot of stuff. But I will say, went into this thinking that I was going to disagree with him about a lot more. Why not coming out the other side being like, this was it? Yeah, I mean, he comes across as incredibly erudite, mm. incredibly well-informed and well-read. Mm. Um clearly has a huge amount to say on a huge range of topics and is able to have a conversation with various different thinkers. Mm. Um, certainly holds to some classic anarchist critiques of um, sort of socialist communism, mm. socialism, communism, Marxism, whatever mm. we want to call it, whatever the other red, well, the, <laughs> the red as opposed to the black in the, in the in that distinction. I mean, that said, I think there is a huge amount of synthesis to be had between the two, actually. Totally. Um, I wonder whether um, some of... I mean, it's it's difficult because we haven't read the entirety of the book. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, I mean, we could have committed to try and do that, but we probably would have done the opposite yeah. of a shoddy job in the sense mm-hmm. of, like, mm-hmm. we can either cover a short, certain portion oh, sure. well, but with gaps, or we could cover a huge portion. Yeah. Uh, with a greater number of gaps in different ways. So the caveat there is, we don't know what he says in the <laughs> chapters. It can be pretty crazy, this stuff. And I actually I actually think a partial reading might be quite offensive to him, like mm. I think he says in the introduction quite specifically. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, so rest in peace to Ghost of Murray Bookchin and yes. all, all of his rabid followers and fans, <laughs> friends, and, uh, and assorted... Uh, Family members. Uh, Entourage. Entourage. Um, Well-wishers. This is not the end. I I came to the conclusion after just like looking up some videos of him and watching him talk. And I've said this to you before that if I were to like be just like at a bar and just like hanging out with some friends and Murray Bookchin were to come and sit down next to me, I'd want to pull my brains out. (laughs) He seems like a great, really smart, like cool guy, but like he just seems like he would not shut up. Yeah, he might well hustle you on things. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You'd begin off giving off cues for a change of topic or a exactly. change of venue. And it'd like, just Brett Gunn like... is the greatest outfielder the New York Yankees have ever seen. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, all right, buddy. But uh, enough of my book chin tarnishing. Um, this was really refreshing for a number of reasons. I think, for one, he says in the introduction that he's going to be writing this book in kind of like a different way, right? Mm-hmm. He kind of says that if you're looking for like... Uh, and like an economic or like, you know, very like, I suppose more, no, more like academic written out book than mm-hmm. like, you mm-hmm. know what to expect, mm-hmm. how it's all laid out. And you're not going to find it here. Yeah. He says it's not an analytical yeah. um, reading. It's a dialectical one. Mm. Whatever the hell that means. Yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, who knows? <laughs> but it's meant that I've, I've, I've written my notes 
um, attempting to like identify <laughs> sort of dialectical oppositions. So uh, there's terms on right and terms on the left. Dan it, has the word I, future I, with two arrows. Uh, the <laughs> so yeah, so Murray Bookchin has promised dialectic, and I've looked for dialectic everywhere. <laughs> Um, I feel like with our capital reading, I was getting very close to understanding what that meant, and now I'm like, I don't know. Yeah, fuck knows. <laughs> fuck knows. Um, but he's, he, he, he equally hints at the possibility of dialectic being uh, weird and mysticism. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. He, he suggests a, derisory, a potential derisory reading of the dialectic, which suggests that it's <laughs> the dialectic. possible for abuse. Yeah, well, he says that too about... Um, Basically every term. You exactly, <laughs> literally every word. I am the only person who knows how to use any of these pieces of terminology. I like because he says that, but then he also just... Total moron. Exactly. He just completely redefines certain words. So, I mean, I guess the two most important words, right, that he's working with, maybe not the two most important words. One is obviously ecology. The other one is environmentalism. So he kind of tries to push back on the like, come on, bro, why can't we all just like live with nature, dude, kind of thing as being like almost utilitarian because he defines environmentalism as like a way of viewing ourselves as using everything that's in the environment or at least viewing everything that's in the environment and in nature inorganic things as well as like organic things nature animals things like that as just like objects and when you see them as objects to be sustainably used they're still just objects to be used where he's saying uh with ecology he's kind of trying to make it a little bit more like systems theory although he derides systems theory quite a bit he kind of just says like ecology is a way of viewing that we are as much a part of this system of nature and of like i guess just the entire earth as like you know something that is just using all of these things so he kind of like tries to bring together the views of like um the natural world as like a system outside of us but that we're also part of and, like, the man-made social world, right? So that's kind of what he's doing. I guess that's kind of, like, the purpose of a social ecology. But to bring, bring together without collapsing them exactly. into one. Yeah. I think. Which is, I mean, there's great many really fascinating ways to launch into talking about this book. I mean, one of them would be to say that largely what this book is is quite like a historical anthropology of sort of, mm. like, human development, I suppose. I think what he's attempted to do is chart that process by which human beings have diverged from the natural world, but escape either suggesting that they're so wildly different that they're mm. totally different things, yeah. nor to fall back on a sort of crude um, collapsing the two into one kind of thing, yeah. um, which is quite incredibly refreshing to find, right? Because you know, so often you could imagine... Um, well, there's so many ways where he pushes back or distances himself from what you might describe as like primitivism right like yeah there's absolutely no sense in which he's suggesting we need to go back (laughs) um we need to go back to the sort of former the point at which human beings were in synthesis with nature kind of thing yeah or just like a fluffy view of like let's all just get along yeah 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 nor yeah yes quite yeah 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 nor is he obviously like taking the opposite view that um, human beings, as you were just saying, can have this kind of like um, instrumental relationship with mm. nature in some way. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, that's sort of the crux of the sort of environmental versus ecology distinction is the kind of like, as you were saying, he, he kind of um, suggests that um, ecologic, no, environmental rather, environmental thinking is influenced by these hallmarks of a certain type of scientific thinking and a sort of type of analytic thinking, mm. um, which is very much like looking at any one particular re- relationship and removing it from the sort of web and connection of all of other exactly. relationships in a system. Mm. And then, so yeah, and then obviously, if you're looking at a relationship between things, you like you almost end up at the point where like there's one active component and one passive component kind of mm. thing. There's human beings being active against a mm. passive nature kind of thing, or mm. there's like a we can the the it sort of goes around. You go around sort of designating things as discrete things that stand in opposition to other elements in the system kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and obviously, the model that he um is championing more is sort of what he's describing as an ecological ecological one which recognizes everything as kind of like a web mm. um 
like a food like a food web mm. kind of thing where everything has some kind of relationship to all other parts of the system mm. yeah absolutely i thought it was interesting too you brought up the word like passivity when you're trying to describe like this kind of environmental view of like people dominating nature and kind of things and it was cool because he bought up the um william petty quote from the marx quote from mm, capital mm, chapter mm, one mm, which was really interesting where he kind of critiques marx's uh taking on that quote as saying you know uh labor is the father or whatever and nature is the mother and he says that that kind of like gendered language implies this passivity to nature which isn't true at all sure you know? yeah, yeah, yeah i thought that was yeah, fascinating yeah yeah, yeah. He's, he's quite interesting like he yeah as you say that that, that human mother distinction is like human beings the active father mm. um sort of like uh utilizing sort of the passive nature and he makes this he suggests well the 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 opposite is totally true right you really mm. have to recognize the ways in which a kind of active nature has an impact on a sort of human raw material kind of thing yeah and he goes so far as to suggest that there might be like a a new form of historical materialism yeah. that would result from that kind of thing yeah. or maybe the better thing would be to say that like a proper historical exactly, materialism yeah. would be one that recognized the the back and forth the like greatest like. material basis that there is which is nature <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah yeah no i don't know i don't know to what extent like that's a legitimate criticism of marx yeah and the marxism obviously like marxism has taken that i mean a turn toward like um it just seems like he has different interests mm -hmm, mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. he's just writing something that's more specific sure to yeah, nature yeah, 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 yeah. uh so I, th I think that idea of like historical materialism as it relates to ecology is really interesting, right? Because he has, at a certain point, he talks about how you need, much like in our Ellen Mixon's Wood reading, he was, she was saying that you need to bring the study of history into the study of class. He was saying you need to bring the study of history into ecology because at one point, I think he says something along the lines of like, uh, you go to like a biome or something, it's never just a random collection of plants that's just there because, right? It's like, if you're from uh, the part of the country in the United States that I'm from, um, it, say you're trying to like make a bit of farmland you're going to need to know the history of that land to work it, right? Because you're going to need to know, like, oh, wow, wildfire came through here, like, two years ago, then, like, destroyed everything. Or, like, there used to be a highway here, or, like, um, that tree fell down because of this, or whatever. Um, and so I thought that was really interesting, and it made me, again, just think of the Alameson's Wood reading. It's bringing a sense of history into a study that might not have, or should have it, right? Um, but, yeah. And then it was interesting, too, because I kind of went back, and I was drawing other comparisons to things that we've read and he talks quite a bit about systems theory right maybe not quite a bit but you can tell that that's kind of what he's thinking about and he says at one point like whatever the benefits of systems theory are which there are like in looking at complex systems like environments and humans relationship to environment um it kind of ju just in his view just views humans and other things as like um producers and consumers of energy and nothing more which he basically says like you can't really do that if you're trying to understand how something actually works um and i wouldn't say if you're trying to control that system because i think that's something that he would like definitely have a problem with saying that you know the point isn't to control nature at all it's to it's this ecological view it's to live within the system and to maybe not harness again that's yeah. not the right word either uh -huh. but like uh -huh. work uh -huh. with it yeah, I mean, it suggests it would be the height of hubris yeah. and st real stupidity for anybody <laughs> to think that they could um, chart all aspects of a system. I yeah. think that's basically what he's saying. Mm. There there are aspects that are um, incredibly complicated. There's a great degree of sort of spontaneity, I suppose. Mm. Mm. Um, a huge amount of complexity and uh, this uh, a system that's built over long periods of time i suppose mm -hmm. i mean I, I guess the best one of the be better examples might be like an ecological system or like a a a, a um a food web i suppose for want of a better word sure. like or a, any natural system i suppose or any ecological system um i think soil is uh, a good example yeah as as, as sort of history plays out mm. A, a, a systems obviously they don't all they don't they're not continuously develop into more greater complexity other things obviously there are things which will set back the complexity sure um but the trend is towards a greater development of complexity in a system mm, which makes it stable which makes a system more stable mm. for example like the the more complicated a food chain food web i suppose right which is a, mm. a food chain <laughs> bookchin would probably suggest was far too hierarchical a form of thinking whereas like um 
the web of all the connections or all, all of the sort of predatory relationships or all mm. of the consumptive relationships like um, all of those animals are forging out more and more niches in a system mm. and the more niches that can be forged out the more places there are to for animals to occupy in a system mm. and therefore the more animals that are in a system and the more complicated it is the more resilient that system is toward any damage to it i.e if some kind of species were removed from it like yeah. the the the, the ba a new balance can be achieved relatively easily mm. compared to like a habitat where there is one really significant predator or prey exactly. and if one of them disappeared then yeah. the system would be thrown into quite significant chaos he uses so the I mean, of the arctic for that like yeah, if a polar quite, bear yeah, would disappear sort of desert, it would just blow up environment. yeah um to which i sort of interpret to mean well that like um the ideal stable system is almost one that's always moving away from our ability to comprehend it kind of thing it's like, the law of you... requisite variety almost, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah yeah diversity counters diversity yeah, yeah, or yeah. complex well yeah you know what i mean i mean it, it's also just to a certain extent black boxing because like he gives the example of i think he gives the example of soil where it's like um he goes into the problems of monoculture um as like you know fields and miles and miles and miles of just grain just grain just grain is that just absolutely destroying the complexity of uh the soil i know that makes it really bad for us in the long run potentially apocalyptic for us in the long run um but he makes the point that like this isn't some like hippy dippy nonsense where it's like whoa dude just like leave the soil alone you're not gonna ever understand it he's like no you literally like scientists literally cannot map out every organism and every thing that's going on in the soil every like they just can't map out the system of just common healthy soil so don't try black box it and try and develop systems that work around it like um not just planting corn as the only plant for 50 miles as you know having uh you know i don't know things other than corn showing off my knowledge here um mm -hmm. but again i mean that just made me think of like black boxing so much of this just reminded me of stafford beer yeah crazy. yeah there were so many times where i was sort of like <laughs> made some kind of reference to cybernetics in some way or other mm. um yeah he sort of um sums up this relationship by saying that the integrity of a system depends not on uniformity but diversity mm. and if you if human beings are to learn to relate to a complex system, a complex environmental system, which, as we've said, Bookchin says that he thinks that human beings sit outside of and need yeah. to learn to have some kind of complementary relationship to, they need you. Human beings need to learn to allow for the highest possible degree of natural spontaneity mm. in those kind of systems. Um, but as you say, like it's not, it's he says, it's not like a total surrender to. Um, yeah. To the whims of the historical <laughs> yeah. system, I suppose. He's more. He he quotes somebody who the name of uh, the, the 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 name of the person that I quote. He quotes. I can't remember. Nor am I going to read out the entire quote. But he suggests he, he he makes this distinction between human beings' relationship to the natural world is not one of a game of chess, mm. but more like steering a boat, mm. where you sort of like learn to follow the eddies and the currents kind yeah. of thing. But you don't seek to master the entire mm. the sort of entire system or the entire process kind of thing. There were a couple um, which was in this a, book, right? Made, like, uh, so I just went. I just wrote sort of steersmanship with exclamation marks because it's sort of uh, uh, it's not quite it's not quite um, uh, cybernetic steersmanship, but um, the, uh, the analogy was close enough. Was there like, is someone steering. steering. Somebody steering. <laughs> someone steering. Somebody, somebody steering. But that's just, that um, that process is a sort of like feedback mechanism of yeah. what's happening in the system. Yeah, um, it's not total control kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was good, right? Because he, he doesn't just totally uh, invalidate, like, orthodox Marxist thought or anything like that. And indeed, he, like, even just, you know, like, tries to marry his thought and that together at certain points, as much as he critiques it. But um, it was interesting the way that he marries the idea of, like, the man-made social world with the, like, crises of... Um, I said crises of environmentalism as well as crises of ecology, right? Because he basically says, you know, you need, you can't think of ecological crises as just humans sitting in the middle, like, of this web or even just in this web. And it's all just kind of, like, happening to us and happening around us. He's like, you do need to consider the social world that we've created, which has a massive impact on, um, on ecology. And uh, because he is an anarchist, of course, he uses the words uh, hierarchy a lot more than you'd probably find in any other, like, uh, Marxist, capital M, Marxist text, and to mean something a little bit more broad. 
Um, I was wondering if we should kind of talk about that because I don't think anything that he bought up and like his ideas of hierarchy were things that Marxists would really ever disagree with. He's like, you know, dude, it's not just economic exploitation. It's like, you know, the old dominating the young and like men dominating women, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, yeah, you're yeah, correct. Yeah. <laughs> Damn right. And he, I mean, he makes a very vital point. I think this is an introduction. He makes a very vital point that like, even even post some kind of like transition to a socialist society mm. as we might identified ourselves with yeah. in, in previous episodes, like you're still not going to do away with those forms of mm. hierarchy or forms mm. of domination kind of mm. thing. I mean, yeah, I, I sort of hope that there is a, at least enough of a way to wit to um, make these make two sort of like make these two uh, complementary descriptions of history and historical process. Mm sort of overlap mm. in terms of looking at them in just different degrees of focus. Yeah. Um, and yeah and obviously they're not going to always agree. And obviously like Marxists might look in- intuitively, instinctively to a certain um, place in society, say, mm. look to certain factors. I don't know. Economic. They might look towards a mode of production or towards class in a way that um, Bookchin might look toward other forms of relationship mm. i mean it's probably worth saying that like the i think that the scope of this book really is to show how um hierarchy developed out of um he doesn't use the phrase primitive societies he quite likes to yeah. use the phrase non-lingual yeah. <laughs> yeah. societies or it, the first the second chapter is on organic societies so yeah. i think he talks about organic societies and how there's this, been this process of like the development of um greater and different forms of hierarchy mm. Mm. Which I mean, we, we we wouldn't disagree with that. There, there has been this sort of development from yeah. some kind of originating form of what I, but what Marx might have called like primitive communism kind of thing. Like, mm. but this description and a Marxist description don't necessarily differ on the sort of trajectory um, of, of history that has happened. Kind of thing. yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess some of the causal relationships may differ to some extent. I mean, I don't know, like, the further back in time you go, like, to the extent that this is a much more heavily anthropological text, I, I feel like the further back in time you go, the less less space there is for conflict between the two um, mm. systems, sort of systems of describing historical development, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, it certainly doesn't seem as mutually exclusive as he kind of makes it out to be. I think that uh, knowing as little as I do about his life, it certainly seems like these are kind of very unsurprising views for him to come to as someone who would eventually kind of wind up calling themselves an anarchist. Um, Coming out of like, you know, collapse of the Soviet Union, but also well before that, like Stalinism. um, It kind of makes sense that he's coming at like a very critical kind of like combative, perhaps, um, way way of understanding things. I mean, it certainly seems like, again, it's, all of these ideas about hierarchy are not as exclusive as perhaps a lot of, I'm not going to say that, perhaps as some anarchists would uh, have you believe. Because, I mean, I don't think there are any Marxists out there, communists, who would say once, like, the ownership of uh, the means of production has been transferred to the people who are actually working them, everything's going to be fine. I think that that's not true at all obviously mm-hmm. and i think that it it's just it just speaks to kind of like the frustrations that i have between this split which is like yeah some anarchists can be a little bit technologically deterministic yeah some anarchists can kind of be like take it way too far and be like well you know like you know like markets that's just not it at all dude like you know that isn't the biggest problem things like that it's everything dude i don't know i just have like this frustration with people who kind of maybe like aren't able to marry these ideas in like a very satisfactory way because it seems pretty easy to do to mm-hmm. me coming at it from this i don't know mm-hmm. call me crazy one of the reasons why um i've sometimes and as you said in the past <laughs> sometimes suggested that um in my mind there is some overlap between anarchistic thinking and a certain definition of liberalism mm. Um, and the sort of the definition of liberalism that I would go would be going after is one that sort of suggested that um, that there was a sort of simple change in behaviour that would create a synthesis, not a synthesis that would overcome a conflict in society, kind of thing. Yeah, like it's so it's basically just a matter of sort of 
talk, talking things out, shall we say, mm. or like um, quite an easy rejigging of the relationships between people. Yeah. Now, well, maybe not easy, but I know what you mean. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> um. Or what would be a better way of phrasing it? Simple but not easy, perhaps. Like it is like something that. Like, it is, like, you can point to this Well, one I suppose it's like... about relationships between individuals exactly, to some yeah. extent. Um, liberalism is interested in the relationship between individuals, whereas, like, we would be much more interested in, like, long-term historical processes mm. and the relationship between um, structures and structural relationships and mm. how they kind of dictate how individuals behave um, outside of how they might otherwise conceptualize their behavior or justify or yeah. want, want to believe themselves to be kind of thing. Um and there was a there was a point in this when I got a little bit worried that Bookchin might be fall into that sort of first category, mm. uh, but it's definitely not the case. His like his his thrust is to build up um, uh, an explanation how we how we've gotten to this sort of that how there's been this very gradual historical process of development toward um, hierarchy, mm. um, and he, he in his in his descriptions between like. Um, the the world of animals and the social world of human beings mm. he basically suggests that there's a massive difference between human hierarchy on domination and the domination that you see in the animal kingdom even in like um groups of monkeys and higher primates and mm. that kind of thing uh, whereas that's all about like any amount of domination that you see there for the most part are eccentricities of the behavior of individuals of those species. Mm. Whereas in human beings and the development of the social world of the human being, what you have are domination of human beings by social structures and mm. the roles that people take up mm. in relationships of domination are a, a, a facet and a process of that historical development of um, social relationships and social structures and definitely not that kind of like simple relationship between mm. uh, human beings. Yeah. Um, yeah. Can I just add to that? I think I think it was really interesting that where he kind of says that like we actually place our uh, views of hierarchy and domination onto the animal kingdom in a way that was like very recursive and strange. It's like almost like image of an image of an image kind of things because he basically says when we describe a beehive, we talk about the queen bee. But, like, the queen bee isn't like, I'm the boss. Doesn't I'm know the they're queen. the queen. <laughs> yeah, the queen bee is just like, I have to have babies all day yeah, 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 for yeah. the hive. Yeah, I mean, it basically <laughs> describes the hive as a reproductive system in and of itself for exactly. the most part, kind of thing. Where everything knows it's, it's like, part and does that yeah, for yeah, that yeah. purpose. And, and, and he's incredibly derisory <laughs> of any, like, any sort of, like, attempt at social science or sociology which attempts to draw a metaphor from, like, um, the structure of a beehive or an anthill mm. or something to the structure of a complex human society kind of thing. And vice versa, Jane Goodall. <laughs> <laughs> and again, yeah, it just goes after all of these like observations of the relationship between chickens doesn't tell you anything <laughs> about human beings. Like, And the, the primate species or the species of monkeys that human beings decide to take their models from to, mm. to, to, to do extrapolate from those societies to describe human beings the sort of like supposedly natural yeah. relationship that exists between human beings tells you far more about the relationship of human beings in society than it does those monkeys kind of thing. Like, yeah, exactly. why have you why have you <laughs> why have you chosen to fixate on baboons for example who happen to have a much more uh, sort of like Sort of forms a society which tend towards yeah. sort of individual domination of others, kind of thing. <laughs> Tell me about your Forgetting father. that, like, <laughs> <laughs> why did you choose baboons? I was quite interested baboons? in that, that, that but, but yeah, but I didn't know that like baboons are actually the type of monkey kind of thing, mm. um, and not. A, hopefully, I'm getting my uh, uh -oh. primate species correct. Anyway, I don't know. I all I know is that monkeys have tails, right? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> I think apes do not. Apes walk around with no tails. I think. I think. I don't want any any ape experts. Walking around with no tails. Walking around with no tails. <laughs> disgusting. It is disgusting. Have you ever seen the movie Shallow Hal? No. <laughs> and I won't spoil it for okay. you. <laughs> um, Should I go out and look for it? <laughs> maybe not. Just uh -huh. the last uh -huh. scene. Uh -huh. um, so I did also think that when I think of anarchism versus, like, uh, communism... I suppose that there is a very small distinction to be made in terms of like 
uh, you get what you put into society, kind of, as, like, the maybe vulgar understanding of communism versus the anarchism is just, like, you just get what you need from society, like, of course. But, I mean, it was interesting because he brought up Marx and Proudhon as people who understood that a society needs to be based, a society of equality, right, needs to be based on a recognition of inherent inequalities. And that's not, like, some bureaucratic iron fist, like, you know, you're lesser than me. Like, this isn't, like, phrenology or anything like that. Like, he just makes the point that it's, like, you can't have a society that's, like, uh, you get as much as you put in when there are people who just can't put in as much work. And so you need to recognize these inequalities as, like, just basic to everything basic in the way things work yeah i mean those inequalities are a facet of the the complex ecology of a social system yeah absolutely um quite yeah (laughs) (laughs) quite that's a good way of putting it very succinct okay um yeah i don't know it's very interesting and also just his ideas of hierarchy as like um the renunciation of pleasure i thought that was really interesting really fascinating as like hierarchy breeds this view on the people who are like the quote-unquote inferiors the exploited perhaps as like people who just have to uh toil right and it just breeds you just sucking all of the life out of you and it conversely it makes it so that the exploiters are people who all they do is pleasure they just they just breed disgusting pleasure caligula-esque pleasure in my mind at least um and and it manifests itself (laughs) in such warped and twisted uh (laughs) A disgusting, <laughs> awful manifestations as fox hunting. Exactly. Disgusting. Syphilitic. No syphilitic. Fo- I can't believe we talked about the House of Lords without me using the word syphilitic. Um, briefly, we have already said that the chaos god of communism, Zinch, Zinch, yeah. the chaos god of capitalism, Slanesh. <laughs> <laughs> Which you think would be a good thing. It's not. Hmm. Um where were we? Hierarchy? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> kind of jumping around a lot. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the way he wrote the book, though, right? Because he, yeah, at the yeah, very yeah, beginning, yeah, yeah. he was like, right. this is just going to be me just getting it out Yeah, there, I, I expected it to be more of a mess than it actually was. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. Like... He said that. And then I was like, I mean, I couldn't do this. Yeah. <laughs> like, it was very... actually quite concise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of understandable. Except for, like, the the two pages at the beginning, which were just like, Odin. About, like, Thor, Odin and Thor like, and the world tree. This could have been a paragraph. And... Yeah. <laughs> It's anything yeah, about I mean, yeah, 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 yeah. Is there anything interesting to say about that? These of that metaphor. I mean, what was the point of the metaphor? Just that it's like if you want knowledge, you have to give up your eye. <laughs> I don't know. Was, I guess the point was that then Odin giant could only world, see the giant snakes of cool <laughs> giant and like... trees. And... I guess the point was that he made a bargain to get this to see the world for how it really was, but then he had to give up his eye, so he only saw the world as someone would with one eye. I guess was the point. So it's like he wasn't actually seeing it how he was. Uh, and it's a, yeah, okay, I guess okay. I just, I skipped it quite yeah, frankly. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, just, I was like, okay, start the book. Uh, beautiful, Murray. Pro, pro, pro ice giants. Pro ice giants. Absolutely. Yeah. I would just like to complain about monoculture for a second again. Um, because as I was saying, we've been experimenting with a little bit of uh, the no dig beds. And I think that one of the main reasons that this was very refreshing for me, this book, was because it talked about a lot of things that you typically don't hear in kind of academic Marxisty circles. The environment, which is like, sure, it gets talked about, but only as it relates to like perhaps metabolic rift and capitalism, and which is very important. But I thought that this idea of like soil degradation and of, I don't know, just certain slightly more specific, but also like potentially apocalyptic facets of capitalism really got their due here and i was mm-hmm. just like awesome mm-hmm. very very cool i mean like props to murray bookchin right writing i mean like um he's been like writing about ecology and uh, ecological and environmental degradation since what of the 50s kind of thing yeah. this book written in the very early 80s mm. there's no mention of um <laughs> I mean, there's, there's there's several references to nuclear apocalypse, which like we have talked about before. I think like sure. probably still a pressing concern, although a, a slightly reduced one. But like mm. they didn't even know about like um, climate change that was resulting from emission of greenhouse gases. Mm. Um, but the sketch he gives of like the apocalyptic yeah. and incredibly destructive circumstances that are coming about as a result of like mm. um, 
lots of farmland. Yeah, sort of capitalist uh, degradation of the yeah yeah. yeah 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 like yeah as you say like destruction of the sort of the soil but huge amounts of air pollution and obviously at this time you knew about like various different types of pesticides kind of thing sure. just about to get the sort of CFCs mm. business so um, bad no, no. Mm. Um, anyway, yeah, he paint he paints a um a, a suitably apocalyptic picture well ahead of his time. Absolutely. Um, so, pro- props to Prophet Murray Bookchin. Prophet Murray um, Bookchin. Yeah. Google Prophet Murray Bookchin. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I would like to know a little bit more actually about like the history of how much we've actually known for how long about uh, climate change. Because yeah, I kind of yeah, when did he write yeah, this? Yeah, the seventies. Yeah. We know. Uh, early eighties, eighties. Early eighties. Yeah, we yeah, know. Yeah. Of course, we know. But it wasn't, just wasn't obviously being published. Sure, published. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't being published. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, people have known. Yeah, my understanding is that people have known the carbon dioxide as a greenhouse sure. gas for a long time. It's not hard to fill a box with carbon dioxide <laughs> and see that it absorbs more light and contain holds onto more heat than like mm. surrounding environment does. The environment is important. That's what I got from this. Yeah. <laughs> what do you know? Um, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, going back to monoculture really quickly, just the general idea whether or not he knew like exactly how much it was or it could potentially affect our capacity to grow anything at all with the next 50, 60 years. Um, again, you're right. It doesn't take like a genius to be like, oh, soil is an incredibly complex system. We're making it extremely uh simplistic by taking all these nutrients out mm-hmm. not having any way to reproduce mm-hmm. them or at least the soil reproduce them naturally yeah. and just basically putting nitrogen on the ground which is just yeah, making it dirt. relying on chemical uh, yeah. fertilizers which like obviously do nothing for the complex ecosystem of the soil and then exactly. end up killing all the pollinators exactly <laughs> i mean this is another good example of like um complex ecosystems becoming very fragile right like mm. the more you don't support a vast array of pollinators the more you become mm. dependent on one particular one mm. bees mm. perhaps no the more a threat your system is of collapsing because it's left so sort of fragile and open to just yeah uh, how, how big how bad is the bee problem i don't know pretty bad i'm, <laughs> I'm led to believe i don't know bad <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, bad. give Heard me a, like explain the scale to me. Jack. What's the scale of like badness? Uh, well, tens no bad, bees, very bad. So, <laughs> I haven't seen any how, bees recently. How close to no bees are we? At? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, saw, I, I saw one very big bee a few weeks ago. Is it a bumblebee? It was a bumblebee. I oh, think. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Are they not? Do they not pollinate? Like, yeah, presumably they do. Yeah. Anyway, I, I've seen one you? bee, but it is only March, and that was probably in February. Oh, yeah, so enough. like, I got scoffed at the other day. Did I tell you about this for no dig beds? For someone at the allotments was like, oh, so what are you doing over at your plot? And I was like, oh, well, I'm actually like, I haven't been digging. So I'm trying to do like uh, no, no till. And he just scoffed at me. He's like, that's never going to work. <laughs> he was like, he was like, he said something like, oh, this grind, you know, it's all well and good for something. If you're not going to get like, ain't no, no dig Brussels sprout beds. And I was like, well, now I have to go to the fucking store and get Brussels sprout seeds. Were you wrong, old man? <laughs> that I have a feud with at the allotment. Uh. Yeah, anyway, yeah. no dig. Pretty cool. <laughs> um, there was one bit in here, Dan. I wonder if you'll know what I mean, where he references Freud and his understanding of hierarchy and of work, and I was pretty lost. So he says, A hierarchical mentality fosters the renunciation of the pleasures of life, as we were saying. It justifies toil, guilt, and the sacrifice by the inferiors, and pleasure and the indulgent gratification of virtually every caprice of their superiors. The objective history of the social structure becomes internalized as a subjective history of the psychic structure. Heinous as this view may be to modern Freudians, it is not the discipline of work, but the discipline of rule that demands the repression of internal nature. I don't know anything about about these modern Freudian, Freudians that he's talking about. When he says not the discipline of work, but it's the discipline, discipline of, of rule. rule. I mean, I, um, I'm, not, I'm not very fond of... And my, my my appreciation of psychoanalysis mm. largely stems from sort of like descriptions of the internal workings of singular human beings. Sure. Now, obviously, a huge amount of that is about the relationship between human beings to uh, society and the sort mm. of the upbringing and the sort of societal space that they're exposed to. Mm. Um, I've never really engaged very well with and do, don't find it difficult to appreciate sort of Freud's analysis of society as a whole. Mm. Um, his suggestion is that 
His suggestion is that uh, human beings have some kind of like animalistic behavior which has been suppressed, I suppose, by the development of uh, Work? society. Okay. Um, I suppose. I mean, I. I mean, I, I don't. I don't quite understand how the two differ significantly. Yeah, right? yeah, this same. is the, this is the problem. I suppose. Like, yeah. um, I, I suppose you could say that like. Um, it's that discipline. It's it's that repression of um, sort of innate human desire which um, allows for a complex arrangement of work, mm. but that, that complex arrangement will also require a certain amount of disciplining of human beings and yeah. instantiation of hierarchies. I suppose. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'm not suggesting that we read Kropotkin's *Compass uh, of Bread*, mm. but yeah, I mean, he brings up an interesting point in that, where he talks about he br- talks up this question of like, how would work work mm-hmm. in a uh, post-capitalist world? Mm-hmm. And he brings up all these points where it's like, that's a fake question. Give me a fucking break. Like you're still gonna like you're gonna work harder you're gonna need to do less but you're also gonna be able to do what you want everything's gonna be better blah 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 blah. but it's an interesting question right about like um how does work function as bookchin would say like as play because that's the whole point of his anarchism i guess as to how to make work play Mm -hmm. and how to like not how to make it basically impossible to tell the difference between the two which is an interesting point i guess that's kind of not really what freud was saying maybe freud was just saying like work is work so Mm -hmm. shut up (laughs) i don't know I have no idea. I just thought that was an interesting bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I get the impression that Freud wasn't particularly interested in the sort of like complex relationships between large numbers of human beings on a societal level anyway, really. <laughs> he was only particularly interested in the relationship between like uh, two people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, like beyond that point. Mm. Didn't say a huge amount about like societal desire or wish mm. or like. Mm. Uh, I'd like to know more about that. Yeah. Was it you who told me that there are three types of people? There are, are psychopaths, sociopaths, and perverts. <laughs> Is that correct? The broad topology in psychoanalysis, or at least certain strands of it, is uh, there are neurotics. Neurotics, that's it. Psychotics. And perverts. The perverts. <laughs> That last and one that, seems those, like a those, slap in the those face. Those various ones like break down into various different, um, various different subcategories as well. Interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, the... I'm categorizing <laughs> everybody I know. Let's get very lost and expose. I'll my, lay down. Let's expose my very, my very rudimentary understanding <laughs> of these things. I mean, like, um, if like, if like, neuro, if neurosis is accepting like a sort of. Um, societal narrative and psychosis is developing one's own narrative and understanding of the world okay for life kind of thing as part of the developmental process Mm. then um perversion falls somewhere in between like you've started the road toward collecting adopting sort of like a societal narrative and understanding of how the world functions Mm very broad sketch um but you 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 need to reinforce that relationship but with certain compulsive behavior interesting very interesting so what's book channel pervert <laughs> i couldn't possibly say i couldn't possibly <laughs> interesting yeah now i am just trying to think about everybody that i know but, uh, i mean that's sort of the danger that you get yourself into um no no interest in diagnosing people other than myself. <laughs> Desperate desire to diagnose myself. <laughs> Please. <laughs> What's wrong with me? <laughs> um, I mean, but there are like I don't know. There are interesting ways in which this this topic is broached. Mm. Um, like, I do find it quite interesting that the 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 sort of diagnostic structure and the understanding of the human psyche that comes from. Um, well, particularly, well, psychoanalysis in particular, but I would imagine other branches of uh, psychological theory and psychotherapeutic practice really are particular to a certain stage of history to some extent. Hmm. Um, interesting. There is, an, there is an interesting point. I started reading the next chapter and he's talking about organic societies, obviously, hmm. and he's talking about um, the upbringing of children and the relationship between children and their parents and children and all of the members in a society. Mm. Um, and he's sort of suggesting that there is this, the, this sort of the societal structure of that upbringing. He doesn't directly reference sort of psychoanalytic theories, but he does suggest that like, 
it builds into people a very different relationship toward individuals and toward community kind of thing mm. which is quite an interesting idea to think that like different societal ways of operating um fostering the development of certain types of behaviors that have mm. determined the sort of like psychological mm. structures of the, the the people who live within a certain system kind of thing yeah um it's something i'd like to know more about sort of like well, we did neurosis not exist before enlightenment individualism came along? Were we all just some <laughs> kind of like uh, free floating psychotics or <laughs> perverts? Who knows? Who, knows, who knows? Everyone was a pervert back in the good old days. <laughs> I mean, th what you're saying is one of the main kind of like ideas behind um, spoiler alerts for Ursula Le Guin's The Dispossessed, but like the ending of The Dispossessed is you're kind of led to think that this whole society, this anarchist society, one that's kind of similar to like what Bookchin. Uh, would perhaps consider, I would imagine she was very inspired by him, um, kind of falls apart because, well, it doesn't fall apart, that's not true, but you see the cracks where there isn't this kind of, like, social... Uh, uh, there isn't like a hierarchy, right? So there aren't people like telling you what to do and you can just kind of do whatever you want, blah, 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 blah. And that's how the society functions, that everybody contributes to the society that they want and that's how it's able to keep going. But the problem with that, I guess, that I kind of took from it at least, was that you still have these social uh, people exercising like ostracization in society, even without hierarchy, mm -hmm. because they're like strained from the norms, even just a little bit. And that's like what the fate of one of the characters is that they start to like they critique the anarchist society a bit and they just they get treated like a crazy person and they eventually go insane and it's yeah i don't know i think that that's kind of one of the interesting perhaps something to consider with uh talks about hierarchy is that mm -hmm. there are always i think going to be like societal norms perhaps well i don't know maybe there wouldn't be i mean it's sure i mean utopian. i don't again like um I mean, maybe it's been implicit in what we're saying. Maybe it's been explicit in what we're saying. Mm. Um, obviously, it's Bookchin's intention to take this model of um, complex ecological systems and suggest that the ideal human system, mm. the sort of like social ecology, is 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 an equally complicated social ecosystem kind of yeah. thing. So I, I would imagine in his sort of idealized version, like there would be space for sure. all niches and all diversity, supposing mm -hmm. that it was given the historical time to develop kind of thing. Yeah. Supposing that, like, obviously he's a very sort of like dialectical thinker, like supposing yeah. that the, the, the dialectical yeah. folded in such a way that it gave <laughs> space for all of these, like yeah. all of these things. Mm. Um, mm. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, I mean, his in the end of this chapter, actually, like his description of um, sort of like a, sort of functioning ecological societies or something actually felt quite familiar. I mean there's mm. quite a, quite a serious like um obviously he lords democracy and is very crit critical of representative democracy and yeah. what it lends itself to is just as a rule of like tyranny or experts. Mm. Um and he's very obviously he's very anti sort of political authority. He's very anti vanguard to some extent mm. obviously it's sketched over quite quickly but it seems to be that he sort of comes down on the side of describing the bolshevik takeover in russia as a coup sure and sort of like he lords the sort of spontaneity of the revolutionaries or the mm. sort of the the regular people i suppose yeah. the workers yeah, yeah. um and um derides and his derisory of any attempt to uh, define that or very too strictly um, direct that activity, I suppose. Mm. So it's basically like the same in the same way that he suggests that human beings should respect, I suppose, and not seek too heavily to disrupt the spontaneity and the spontaneous behavior of uh, nature. He's also he also celebrates very heavily the spontaneity of mm. human beings. Yeah, which to, I mean, to some extent in the in the kind of like ideal society i would hold fully with that as well i think well sure or yeah. at least like as, as i mean i i don't quite know how much this his vision of like of a of a um of a ecological social system overlaps fully with like binary and cybernetics say but at mm. least like i guess we feel like we would we what we would want to say like as much uh, initiative and spontaneity should lie with the people who sure. are making uh, that sort of in the grassroots position, sort of making the decisions, kind of thing. For practical reasons. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
whether the ideal outcome for the the Russian Revolution was to simply let spontaneity play out in its fullest form without any attempt like? to intervene or direct it. Well, it would have mm. it would have it would have been a, a white victory in the Civil War. Probably. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, Nestor Manco would have won. <laughs> Um, yeah, 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 yeah. There's that sort of like Trotsky got that I find interesting. Like, if the whites had won the Civil War, then the word that we now use for fascist would have been a Russian word and not an Italian one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, <laughs> um, that's interesting too. Tying this back to some other reading that we did, shines all the way, Dan, back to the Jack Sipes because he talks a lot about the necessity of utopian thinking mm-hmm. as like a a necessity to get to a better world because he says that you need. You need to think in a utopian way, but I suppose what he's really saying is in a more creative way. Because mm-hmm. without the creativity, without being able to like be like, well, what if this was possible? Why, why couldn't we do this? You're never going to get anything that's just beyond like reforms, right? I suppose is his point. And that ties directly back into his thoughts on systems theory, where it's like you need this kind of like diversity, not for like hippy dippy. I love using that word. Mm-hmm. Just like fun reasons. Like everybody just do your thing, man, which is what I thought he was going to be like. He's like, no, this is very practical. You need to have this diversity of opinions. You need to have creative utopian visions. Otherwise, literally nothing's going to happen. Mm-hmm. I thought that rocked. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Like, hell yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Yeah, I love how this, how this sort of like, there's some tidbits for the hippies, but it's like, exactly. whoa, whoa, no, not too far. Exactly. Like, <laughs> we still need technology. Like, obviously he's like, Super willing to celebrate technology, mm. super willing to se- celebrate science. Mm. There's a really nice point early on when he's he. he I mean, he, he quotes Marx very favorably of saying that like the sort of development toward socialist society, I say, would be dependent on like uh, a sort of poetic imaginary kind of mm. thing. But creates this distinction between like you can't rely purely on sort of like mm. poetic fantasy and imagination, nor can you rely fully on sort of like mechanistic scientific process kind of thing like, yeah it's some kind of synthesis of the two mm. she's looking for yeah exactly. i suppose he's attempting to encapsulate in the idea of like the social, social ecological, ecological process yeah it's because his scientific views just seem to be slightly more creative than like yeah, yeah, yeah. it all yeah. ties together yeah <laughs> this chapter man this is one chapter this chapter was good yeah it's excellent yeah yeah, yeah. 10 out of 10 out of 9 Whoa, I was going to say 11. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, the last, only thing I, that I want to say, anything else, is just um, if you perhaps haven't read anything like this because you're concerned of reading an anarchist, because you're concerned of reading something that's outside of your uh, purview, perhaps, uh, pick it <laughs> up. <I'm> perversion. Of <laughs> <laughs> your per- pervert. I mean, uh, <laughs> uh, really check it out because I was thoroughly surprised with what i found in this book and i would not call myself an anarchist although i would consider them dan my comrades and i'll use that word fellow travelers for the, un- for the first time unironically un- yeah. yeah fellow travelers yes i cannot but agree with all that you have said excellent wow fantastic um i think that this was a really good framing for us to perhaps talk more ecology in the future um, yeah, I think what what I wanted to say was I don't know how we're necessarily going to wrap our sort of small and <laughs> smooth, easy, smooth and easily distracted uh, uh, brains around reading this entire book such that we can yeah. cover it in its entirety. Yeah. Um, much as I'd like to like read it chapter by chapter and just do yeah. an episode, I'm not sure that would be the best way to go about it. Yeah. So maybe we'll have to take a break from it and try and consume it our own time and then come back to it exactly. and give it like a full hit or something yeah. at some point. Yeah. Um, Again, who knows I, what he says in the later chapters? Could go off knows, the rails. God knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we do not endorse anything that is in any of the other chapters. Exactly. But yeah, 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 yeah. Read some goddamn Murray books. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, hopefully that we can use this as a sort of like a continuing development toward mm. more engagement with mm. ecological thinking. Yes, I'm interested to compare. I think eventually down the line, maybe soon, maybe somewhere down the line, we'll again read uh, some metabolic rift, read some John Bellamy Foster, see what that's all about, and I'd like to kind of compare the two. Um, yes, I mean there, there is, there is in the in the the discussion of that petty. Mm. quote about yeah. um 
mothers and fathers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, quite a lot of reference to me- metabolism. Yeah. yeah. Um, so maybe we could go and read some of the Bellamy Foster and then come back to this and sort of like. Wouldn't it have been great together if our if, if our version of capital and actually used, used that the word it. metabolism? <laughs> that would be so great. Wouldn't that have been convenient? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> useful. Yeah, useful. Um, oh well. Oh well. Oh well. Uh, yeah, that's all I gotta say. Uh, any good Star Trek, Dan? I've, like I've watched very little of anything. Can I say, Dan? It was called Timescape. Was it really? <laughs> it was. I knew it was called Timescape. Oh, oh, oh sorry, sorry. Yeah, you, you were right. I was wrong. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Timescape. Timescape. Okay. Um, all right, folks. If you haven't watched it yet, <laughs> all right, folks. Watch, watch Timescape. It's the third or fourth time. <laughs> I watch it. Um, I uh, I watched a um. What did I watch? It was a John Carpenter movie, uh, In the Mouth of Madness. It was all right. It was good. Okay. It was kooky. Okay. There was some fun. Yeah, like, I'm not like, like I'm not I'm not mm. like. Don't tell me. I've watched the thing. Exactly. Yeah, I don't. I didn't like it I will, very much. I, give me the YouTube com- compilations of like the crazy prosthetic like monsters. Yeah, yeah. I'd much rather watch the sort of like making of the thing. <laughs> exactly. Um, they live. Classic. Never seen it. Yeah. <laughs> I Sounds mean, great. I don't know whether there's any need. All right. Yeah. We'll just watch some video of Slavojita talking about it if you want. <laughs> yeah. I'll finally watch the Jordan Peterson debate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> there was something else that was trying to push on me recently that I haven't watched. Is this a person or an algorithm? An algorithm. Okay. <laughs> it. The <laughs> algorithm. Some, some like thing that people on the left talk about a lot that's on YouTube and that I just refuse to watch that grosses me out. I forgot what it was. Something like that. It's probably not worth it. Probably some book chin interview. Yeah. Well, folks, another episode. And uh, I would just like to say thank you very much. It's uh, been such a good time. <laughs> it's been an absolute blast. My name has been Jack. And continues to be. Continues to be and Jack Bookchin. <laughs> <laughs> My name has and continues to be and probably an almost all likelihood will be Dan. Dan. Go. This has been Auxiliary Seconds. Thank you all very much for listening. See you next time or something. <laughs> <laughs>music you heard this episode was music to kill bad people too by king gizzard and the lizard wizard if you like this song you can check it out and much much more on their Bandcamp at kinggizzard.bandcamp.com be sure and follow us up on instagram twitter and facebook and if you like what you heard be sure and tune in next week for some more comedy discussion till next time